This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Hello, and welcome to the show. This week, we'll hear about one way not often used for retirees, especially on the older end of the age spectrum, to keep some guaranteed income. I spoke with certified financial planner Art Stein about the pros and cons of fixed income annuities, not to be confused with your federal pension. This is a little confusing for feds because their pensions are called annuities. And, you know, in the rest of the world, pensions are called pensions. But with federal retirees, their pensions are the FERS and CSRS annuities. What we're speaking about now is an insurance product sold by an insurance company authorized by the TSP to be purchased with funds from the TSP. And an immediate fixed annuity means that you pay an insurance company whatever amount of money you want. And depending upon the amount you pay, how old you are when you make that payment, they're going and prevailing interest rates, they're going to determine a monthly payment that they can make to you for the rest of your life, no matter how long you live. And it's guaranteed by the insurance company, not the federal government. Now, the amount that you're going to be paid, age is a key determinant of what that payment is. And older feds are going to get a much higher payment than younger feds. For instance, if an 85-year-old and a 65-year-old were both purchasing at the same time, same amount of money, I would expect that the older, the 85-year-old, would get about twice as much per month as the younger purchaser. So the And then there are various options. You can get a joint annuity. You can get guaranteed payments if you die early. And those, of course, all reduce the monthly payment that you're going to receive. So when you purchase this fixed annuity, the risk that you have is that you die early and maybe you spent 100000 to purchase this annuity and you've only received twenty or thirty or 40000 in payments, and then you die, you're not going to get any money back. Once these payments start, the money is gone you used to purchase, and the amount you get paid is never going to vary. So you lose control of the money. The advantage is for a much older person, say an 85-year-old, the percentage amount that they would be paid annually could be 15 or 16% of what they use to purchase, which would mean they'd get all or most of their money back in six or seven years. And if they lived to 95 or 100, they probably could pull, a, would receive a lot more from the fixed annuity the life sure. annuity, it's called, than they would if they were just taking it from the TSP investments. Yeah, these things are always gambles. I have a 91-year-old cousin who was asked to be on the committee for a controlled study because he's a medical statistician of some renown, and but it's a five-year commitment. He says, I'll be glad to join at 90, but I can't give you any guarantees yeah. on the five years. And so give us a typical cost for one of these annuity instruments? It, it's whatever you want to pay. The minimum payment to purchase the life annuity is $3,500. Okay. 
and then TSB participants, well, they have to be retired to make this purchase. Right. Can't do it while they're still working. But then they can purchase in any amount. If they have a million dollars, they could put in a million dollars. If they want to put in $3,500, they could put in $3,500. So they could put in part of the money that they have in the TSP, but not all of the money in the TSP. Are there tax or other penalties that you would pay by withdrawing the money from the TSP to buy one of these? No taxes, no penalties. It's going to be the TSP payments are going to come to your bank account and they'll be taxed the same way as any withdrawal from a uh, from the TSP would be taxed. Now, when I look at this in general, I think that TSP, let's say FERS participants, already have two great guaranteed payments. They've got Social Security and they've got their annuity, their pension. And those are going to last the rest of their life and they haven't great inflation adjustments on them. To put a significant amount of your TSP balance in this life annuity, this fixed indexed annuity, means that the purchasing power is going to decline over time. And I think that's a huge risk to take. You know, because you already have two guaranteed payments with inflation adjustments, what you want to do is try and invest in a way that's going to increase the purchasing power of your TSP balance, especially for FERS, because their inflation adjustment is not complete inflation adjustment anytime inflation's over 2%. So they could easily see the value of their FERS annuity decline over time. Right. So the calculus is you want to make sure that your TSP main body account is doing well enough such that if you take your required minimum distribution, which you've got to take, that it won't touch the capital. And that RMD that you take every year might be greater than what the yield would be if you reduced your TSP by buying a fixed income annuity. Yeah. Now, remember that the withdrawals from the uh, the, your re- the payments you're receiving from the fixed annuities are going to count against your required minimum distribution. Right. But at some point that if you take a substantial amount out of your TSP to buy an annuity, then that is a fixed income annuity, then your TSP will be smaller. And yes. so the yield of it, but it might be the same ratio. In other words, if it's doing the same performance on a percentage basis, your minimum required withdrawal will be proportionately smaller. Not, yes. So your ratios would stay the same. And then you would have this other piece of income from the annuity. Exactly. So I would tread cautiously if I were a federal retiree about purchasing this. To me, it's a way that if if someone is worried that they cannot if they're older, much older, like 80, 85, 90, and they feel like their withdrawals from the TSP to supplement their guaranteed payments might not last their whole lifetime. This is a way to goose those payments, you know, get a much higher percentage payout guaranteed for the rest of their life. And if they live a long time, that's great. And if they don't, well, they took care of this risk that they had. But other than that, I think that I'm not sure it's appropriate for too many other federal retirees. Right. It's the same calculus you make with any insurance. You 
pay insurance out the wazoo your entire life if you never have a bad car crash, if your house never burns, if you're never sued, then all the insurance money in one sense is down the toilet. But on the other hand, you are covering risk, and there's a cost to that. Yeah. And one way that this is described is that life insurance protects you against dying too soon so your family doesn't have all that income you would have earned. And annuities protect you against living too long. And that is, you know, in a way, the major financial risk for federal retirees. You know, like if you knew you're going to die five years after you retired, probably have enough money to handle that. And inflation will not have affected you very much. But if you live 30 years and some of us are going to live even longer after retirement, then you have that risk of exhausting your funds. Sure, and it's probably a good idea while you're at it to buy burial expenses prepaid, so at least they can plug you if something happens and you happen yeah. to be destitute well, at that. Sure, you're that well taken care of. Yeah, right. And where do you buy these annuities? Do all the major insurance companies offer them? Yeah, all the major insurance companies offer them, but the TSP annuity, life annuity, you know, it's just offered through the TSP. You would go into my account and you use the tools there that are available to calculate how much you would get. And then there's a, you would then apply for it, tell them what you want to do. But just know that once that annuity payments start, it is fixed for the rest of your life. And the payments are guaranteed by the insurance company, not the federal government. Right. So there is, I guess, an outside chance that that company could fail and then you're out of luck. Yeah. I think that's a pretty small chance. It's certainly possible. Uh, the TSP has chosen MetLife to provide this fixed annuity inside the TSP. And, you know, they're a major highly rated company. And while we have you, are just a quick analysis, maybe your view of what the stock market is looking like right now for those people that are invested through the TSP or other means. It seems to have kind of settled down and adjusted itself to the weird economic news and the interest rates and Russia disruptions and all this jazz <laughs> surrounding yeah. us. It seems like things have calmed down a little bit relative to Volatility. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair statement. I mean, stocks are up for the year, bonds are up for the year, and that includes the funds inside the TSP. I mean, the next time we speak, we can review the half yearly performance of the TSP. But it's a good example of why you don't want to try and time the market. Because, you know, at the beginning of the year, and for most of last year, everybody agreed that there was going to be a major recession this year was going to kill the stock market. And, you know, that could still happen, Tom. But it hasn't happened yet. It's been a good year for investors, just year to date. And, you know, listen, things have not gotten better in the sense, you know, the whole Russia-Ukraine thing has really gotten crazy. And interest rates are bound to go up again, according to the Federal Reserve. And all these other risks have not really gone away. But, you know, the economy is doing extremely well. Unemployment is so low. No one ever would have forecast that, that it, employment would stay so low after these major interest rate increases, probably the fastest increase in interest rates the Fed has ever done. And uh, the economy just keeps going on. Yeah, nothing like the American way. I guess maybe the smartest people are the ones that sold their houses 
at the height of the housing recent boom before interest rates started going up on mortgages. And now the houses are a little bit sitting in inventory longer. And, you know, it's not so easy to sell if you have or expect to realize the capital gains on the 30, 40 years you've had that that uh, rancher out there. In the well, it's also not so easy to buy. You know, there's not a lot of people are not selling because they have such a low mortgage rate. And if they go into a new house with a mortgage, you know, the mortgage rate is going to be easily double what they paid before. So it's not easy to buy. And of course, if you need a mortgage to buy back in, your interest rate is going to be much, much higher. Yeah, you're in a hole. And where have you been living this whole time? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you're paying rent, I guess, and that's just really cutting into your uh, any profit you would have made by selling high and then trying to buy back in low. Yeah, Always hate, a hard thing to do. I hate when that happens. <laughs> Certified financial planner Art Stein. We'll take a break, and when we return... What's going on with those newly energized federal executive boards for feds who don't work in and around Washington? And that's most of you. You're listening to FedLife on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. Federal executive boards, known as FEBs, do lots of things to keep the federal machinery working in the big federal cities outside of Washington. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman got an update from the director of FEBs at the Office of Personnel Management, Anita Spinner. When President Kennedy really coordinated the FEBs in 1961, His vision, I'm going to quote, is still applicable today, which is to bring more closely together the many activities of the government and individual states and communities throughout the nation. So for the last 61 years, that has still been the mission of the FEB is to really improve coordination with those agencies and their respective locations and also with headquarters as well. And one of the things that we've seen, 85% of federal employees are in field locations. And so the boards really ensure that the senior leaders and those federal employees have a way to communicate and share information. So in a nutshell, they strengthen and empower the federal workforce. What does that communication look like and what types of things are you communicating about for federal employees? As noted in the annual report, the communication deals with preparing in events of emergencies, trainings, recognizing federal employees in those respective areas. It also deals with fostering SES partnerships since the board members are the highest ranking senior leaders. And so ensuring that communication and exchange could be through emails, through trainings, through a variety of methods that could happen that way. I'm sure one of the big emergency preparedness efforts that you had underway, at least within the last couple of years, was handling the COVID-19 pandemic. But now, of course, we're a couple years out from that. How have your preparedness efforts or emergency preparedness efforts shifted in the last year? And, you know, are you still looking at anything that's related to the pandemic or some of the changes for the federal workforce that have stemmed from that? 
That is such an interesting question um, because one of the things the FEBs do is, as interagencies is communicate before an emergency. And so we actually all lived through an emergency where that application became really real to everyone. But of course, headquarters leads those efforts. And so any communications that FEBs sent out in regards to that was an amplification of headquarters messaging. And so, and we continue to really have our same posture. Nothing is really quite different on that as we move forward. And when you are communicating, when FEBs do communicate, what does that really look like? Is it emails? Is it meetings, uh, phone calls? How are you guys really communicating all of this information among the different FEBs? So the local agency heads that are board members, they have direct responsibility to make decisions for emergency information. So what FEBs will share information. So whether it's from the NOAA Weather Service, so they would basically put all the information in one place through email, maybe through a meeting, that those local agency heads can make the decision. So it's a way for them to be able to accomplish their mission. And aside from emergency preparedness and and that sort of response there. I know that FEBs also work on a lot of other things, like you mentioned SES. There's, you know, trainings that you offer. Can you tell me a little bit more about what are some of the other things that FEBs do besides this communication piece of it? So the senior executive members are actually board members. So they're the ones who actually will do the communicating and collaboration. But when it comes to other things, it depends on the needs of the community. And that's what I love about FEBs. We say it's a national network with local connections. So what are the needs that have been identified by the senior leaders for those respective employees? So is it leadership development in their respective areas? There could be programs developed around that. Could it be just really a succinct retirement training? So like we have a train that's been put together, what's in your retirement wallet, where really federal employees in those respective areas can hear about all the various components of their retirement right from the experts. So whether it's OPM, you know, HHS, all of the components hearing from that. So it depends on the needs of the area. And that's one of the things as an interagency organization, FEBs do really well is to be responsive to those needs. Another thing I, I was kind of curious about with FEBs, I know there are 28 of them. How is that number determined or how is the location determined? Is it just based on clusters of, of agencies or federal employees working across the country? How, does, how do you map out where FEBs should exist? So as mentioned on our website, um, I was one that's one of our frequently asked questions. Um, right now, the FEBs are located where there are a large concentration of federal employees. And so that's just generally how it's been determined previously. The other thing that I did want to talk about about FEBs is some of the recent changes that have come from both the fiscal 2023 uh, budget and the 2024 budget request. So I know that one thing that has been on the mind, I guess, of FEBs is having stable and predictable funding. How would that change things for FEBs? Yeah, so I'm not at liberty to go into the details about the budget process and how that worked, but I will say one of the things that you probably noticed is that there's now a collaboration between OPM, OMB, and GSA. 
And we truly have modeled the FEB mission for interagency partnerships. And so we're still setting up the foundation, um, but we really are excited to be able to see when you have maybe a more stable interagency funding model and the shared governance, how it will allow us to be able to expand services and build the structure. But we're still in process of that, so we don't have any final things to share on that at this moment. And just for my own understanding, how does the FEB funding work currently if you don't have this, what they call in the budget request, stable and predictable funding? What does what does your current funding um, actually look like? So when President Kennedy established the program in 1961, it didn't come with a funding mechanism. So can you imagine a 61-year program because the value of the FEBs has been seen nationwide? Departments and agencies have volunteered to staff the program. And so that, you know, that support will continue and just in a different form. Something else that was in the budget request was the internal governance structure of FEBs. Break down a little bit more for me what exactly that update would look like or what that really would mean for FEBs as well. So it goes back to what I mentioned previously, that in the 5 CFR 960, the OPM director is has oversight of the FEB program. So under this new model, it's an expanded governance with OPM, OMB, and GSA. And so at those senior levels, they will be working together to really set the strategic direction for the FEB program. I had a chance to look at the um, 2022 FEB report. There is a lot that FEBs did accomplish in the last year. What are some of the things that you found most telling, or is there anything that you want to highlight about some of the recent work that um, FEBs have, have been doing? I really appreciate how they've been able to support their communities, especially recognizing federal employees um, through their award ceremonies and award programs. Um, so many people, there's so much that federal employees do across the nation. And because 85% of federal employees outside of D.C., it's a way to recognize those individuals. So despite maybe having to shift to virtual platforms where they had that or place-based awards, they've still been able to recognize federal employees. And that's really our goal with everything we do is to really highlight what it means to be a true federal servant, how it can impact the nation. And that's what FEBs have been able to do through their award ceremonies. And so I really appreciate that, as well as being able to have those true interagency connections. And so through those interagency connections and working together. They've been able to share resources, break down those silos, and be able to help accomplish their agency missions as well together. So in that report, you will see there's some exercises, there's some trainings that were mentioned, of course, supporting CFC, which is really a big portion of what they do as well, and just looking at different place-based programs and supporting early career talent. So working together as respective agencies in those locations have helped to achieve that. So I am just thrilled to be able to see that and how it just has a major impact nationwide. Just from an awareness perspective, how many federal employees know about the work of FEBs? Is it something that, you know, it's pretty common that most agency uh, employees will know what FEBs are? How much awareness do, do FEBs have? Well, I would hope they would, the folks would know. So I really don't, I can't really speak to that. As you know, we have, you know, a social media presence. We have a website. Um, we do make sure that through headquarters, we're sharing information. So um, I would hope that through an interview such as this, and we can just continue to spread the word even more. Anything else that you wanted to add about maybe some of the work that FEBs have coming up or what you're going to be looking at uh, over the next year? 
Um, we're just looking at you know, making sure that, to, to your point, that we bring even more visibility um, to the federal executive boards and really highlight that there really are centers of excellence that bring all senior leaders together in a system and accomplishing their mission. Um, I really heard a phrase one time that they're the glue that binds the federal government together. So really ensuring that we are being able to get that message out as we move into the future. Anita Skinner, Director of Federal Executive Boards at the Office of Personnel Management, speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. That's it for this week's FedLife. Keep those cards and letters coming and find much more at federalnewsnetwork.com. I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.